I'm Maaike Slot and you're listening to Do We Click, a monthly research podcast on the digital relationship between journalists and their audiences. Do We Click is supported by the Dutch Journalism Fund and the Erasmus Research Center for Media, Communication and Culture of the Erasmus University Rotterdam. This is episode 13 and I have a visitor, Maaike Olij, creative consultant, Journalism and media expert and writer of a book about the audience's news needs is in the studio to tell us everything about how you can best reach them. But first, this. (coughs) My four-year-old son has a cold, a slight fever, and is coughing a lot. He stays home from school one afternoon and is wrapped in a blanket on the couch watching his favorite show on Netflix. I ask if he wants to eat or drink anything. He looks at me and says, Yeah, I would like some green beans. I look at him slightly surprised. I really thought his answer would be more along the lines of cookies or chocolate, like any normal four-year-old would ask for. When he has completely emptied his bowl of beans, he looks at me again and says, I've eaten all of them. Will I be better soon now? And then I remember telling him some days back that vegetables contain lots of vitamins and those help you to stay healthy. Sometimes people surprise us with their choices. This is also the case in journalism. When I ask journalists what their audiences click on, they often come up with accidents, stories that contain celebrities, violence, or animals. But sometimes audiences surprise us. When that article about that new building regulation is going through the roof, or that in-depth interview with that politician, or the background story about farmers in Croatia. But why are we surprised when that happens? Maybe because we underestimate audiences. In any case, it's important to know more about your audience and what drives them than just their age group and where they come from. Let's abandon stereotypes and old-fashioned assumptions about specific target groups. My guests in the studio today can tell us all about how to get to know your audience, and her name is Maike Olij. Maike, welcome to the studio. Thank you. It's great to have you here. You've written a book about the news needs of the audience for the NOS, Mm -hmm. the Dutch public broadcaster. Why did you write it? Well, I wrote it mainly to help journalists better understand how their audience behaves. Uh, We often mainly speak about the audience in demographic terms, like young people want this, older people want that. But this ignores the fact that there are actually some universal needs that uh, are not really dependent on how old you are. And I think if you manage to address these needs with like great journalistic products, um, you can really build a relationship with your audience. And this relationship, I think, is very necessary in a time of a media overload, declining loyalty eh, in terms of news routines. Therefore, I argue in my book that you can only take the audience seriously if you genuinely understand what, what drives them, what they need. Uh, then you can think about how you can give that in the best possible way. And even though the book dates from 2016, I think the subject is still very relevant um, uh, and recent. Journalists are still inclined to believe, I don't know, that, for example, young 
people have uh, a very short attention span um, and can also binge watch. And they translate this into something that is not entirely true. Like, for example, uh, for young people, news should always be short and snappy. Indeed. So it's safe to say that it's tremendously important for news organizations to be really well informed about what their audiences want. Yeah, I think it's crucial. Um, as said, there is so much content on offer that you can't afford to make only things that you want to make yourself. Um, you also have to think about how, when and where it reaches your audience. And therefore, you have to listen to them and really try to understand them. Because for all organizations, also public broadcasters, having a certain impact is an important goal. You want your content to matter. Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes this is because you have reached a lot of people with your content, but sometimes uh, because it has actually led to change for this one person or for society yeah. on the whole. Mm -hmm. um, in 2018, I published a, a research report for the European Broadcasting Union, the EBU, <clears throat> on the relationship between news organizations and their audience. And that was called 50 Ways to Make It Better. And one of the conclusions of that report underlined, again, the fact that it's incredibly important to have a good relationship with your audience. Mm -hmm. um, because, first of all, it makes you much more trustworthy if you have a good relationship. Um, and even private news organizations who were initially much more focused on reach and clicks on advertising yeah. are nowadays much more focused on building long-term relationships that ultimately lead to loyalty and subscriptions. Yeah, I also see that in my research, right, that, that news organizations, but also journalists, understand better the context of clicking, that it's not necessarily the most important thing. Um, and also the relationship with the audience is important, but still I feel that journalists sometimes fear that they will lose their independence if they listen too much mm. to the wishes of the audience. Uh, popular and frequently clicked on topics do not always equal what journalists deem important news. How did you experience that in your research? Well, I've First of all, I think we have to really rethink the concept of listening to your audience in, because it doesn't mean you have to do what your what the audience wants. Um, a good parent doesn't always do what his child wants, right? So this is this is the same. Except when he asks for green beans. That's right. That's but you're a good parent. <laughs> <laughs> no, but good parents and, and good journalists should should listen and observe and try to understand why a child or the audience says something or asks something or does something. What is behind it? And and only if you listen uh, well like this, then there can be love and respect. Uh, I don't know, it sounds a bit exaggerated to well. talk about love in the context <laughs> of journalism. But I think you really have to want to understand your audience in order to really connect with them. Um, and I think the journalists too often yeah, kind of make fun of what uh, people find interesting, that they sort of uh, talk about it condescending. Um, and I think a more humble attitude towards the audience with some curiosity and interest um, will get much more uh, out of the relationship. Yeah, but I think the ana analogy of a relationship is is useful, I, I think. Um, do you think that journalists underestimate their audience? Yeah, sometimes. Um, sometimes I think it's rather arrogant to think that the, only, uh, that the audience, for example, only has a bad taste. Uh, do we really think that people don't know what's good for them? I mean, most people also choose what they what they want for for dinner, <laughs> um, and it's not not fries every evening, you know. And yes, of course, everybody is occasionally um, you know uh, tempted to choose a snack, uh, but it doesn't mean that you have to that you also stop eating healthy meals. So, but, so we talk a lot about food, but you know, <laughs> but you know what I mean with the analogy between food and and journalism, uh, because it's really about. 
listening to them and having respect for their opinions. Mm-hmm. And and you don't have to become a slave to your audience by listening to them. Journalists can remain independent. They are critical thinkers, make their own decisions, but they can use the input of their audience to make better choices. Yeah, so they can listen but not be be really steered by their audiences. Yeah. Well, I get it. But how can news organizations find a good mode of operation in listening on the one hand and deciding on the other hand? It's It doesn't seem that simple. No, no, I'm sorry. There's not just one answer to the question, what do people find interesting? It's a, it's very dependent on contextual issues like uh, the location, the time of your consuming behavior, the company you're in, the device you have at your disposal, but also the knowledge you have about the topic, the experiences you've had. Um, sometimes people are very interested in a certain topic but won't read it or won't click on it because it just doesn't fit their re- routine at that specific moment in time um, or because the heading doesn't catch their attention or because they don't want or can't watch a video with sound in the train. So mm-hmm. you can't jump to conclusions by looking only to the things that you can measure in behavior. And in addition, I think you should also really try to understand what it is that makes people uh, uh, tick and click, the psychology behind people's actions. Yeah. I think marketeers know that very well, but journalists often, I don't know why, but prefer to stay away from this. Um, but I think you have to understand why people click on something I know there's some very uh, interesting research done by Tim Groot-Kormelink and Irene Costera-Meijer, um, which shows that people have around 16 different reasons to click on an article on a website, and only one of them is something that says, oh, this is interesting. And other reasons for clicking can be, huh? what's this? I'm very confused by the headline. Let's click on this. Hmm. Or, oh, that sounds exciting. I'll click, but I think it's it's not true. So. I don't. I don't think you should uh, really compare clicking behavior with interest. Yeah, just like you cannot compare the like button with true. I like exactly. this. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, it's a good point. Uh, maybe nice to know for for well for everybody that Tim Groot Gormelink, the researcher you mentioned, will be my guest next month in my next podcast. So then he can explain his research in more detail and his. It's especially interesting also because in an earlier podcast, I discussed that journalists often do not have a very specific idea about who their audience is. So they know the target audience. They can explain that, like we target people living in our area. Um, They usually do know the average age of their readers, viewers or listeners, so around 55 years old. And sometimes they also know where they come from. But that's sort of where it ends. So they really think in age groups. Uh, They say that many news organizations have difficulty reaching a younger audience, for example. So they know we have an older audience. We cannot reach the younger people. So they primarily think in age groups. And in your book, you call this silo thinking. Mm -hmm. um, And you argue that we should get rid of it. Why is it important (laughs) to get rid of that? Well, maybe to get back to one point you mentioned The NOS, for example, they don't just have an old audience for all their news products. Uh, They also have platforms like NOS Op3 and NOS Stories, which are actually quite um, uh, successful in reaching younger audiences um, and not just the elderly. Um, And I'm not also arguing uh, for a complete uh, release of the idea that you shouldn't, you know, target a specific age group. Uh, But I do think it would be a good idea to let it go, to let go of demography uh, in the first place or as a first thought. We shouldn't use it as the most important differentiator between people because this may limit you in the way you make a product. And I'm saying may because it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. But we often have 
very strong and unconscious ideas based on demography that we let ourselves uh, be guided by that. I mean, we say women don't like economic news. Young people want something short. Old people like talking heads. But those are general generalizations that don't really take people seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and taking the basic news needs that someone has as a starting point instead of these demographic considerations uh, allows you to adapt not just to one age group uh, that you want to address. Um, and then afterwards you can you can specific it if that's necessary. Uh, but I mean, if you have something that is really good, like a good explainer of NOS on three about, for example, raw materials that are used in an iPhone, it's not really an age-specific product. Everybody actually will like it. So if you're interested in that subject, it doesn't matter how old you are, yeah. you will click on that anyway. Yeah. So if I um, understand you correctly, you say you have to sort of take different things into consideration. So age is should not never be the the first thing that you look at. Can you tell us something more about the alternative? Yeah, I think I've mentioned the word a few times, but um, I'm focusing in my research on news needs, like the motivations to consume news. Um, and I've done this research at the NOS, and it, that shows that we have different news needs uh, that can be placed in a matrix that has two axes. Uh, one axis, the horizontal one, um, is about the amount of effort that you want or can undertake to receive the news or process the news. Mm-hmm. So that can be either more lean back, be more passive, or be more lean forward uh, and be more active. And the vertical axis represents the degree of interest you have in a story. So from wanting to know, which is at the top, or, mm-hmm. or wanting to understand something, which is at the bottom. Okay. So... I can visualize this in my head <laughs> since good. we don't have visuals with the podcast. <laughs> so tell us the news needs that this matrix then provides us with. Yeah, because you, you get four different news needs uh, in the axis. And the first one is on the top left, a combination of knowing something and being fairly leaned back. Um, and that's what we call staying up to date, to stay up to date. Uh, and that's that you want to consume news to be well-informed, uh, for example, to talk about it with others, to have conversations. Uh, and often this news uh, consumption has very strong habits and routines in it. And then there's a second one we call that uh, to apply. And that's on the top right corner, if you're still visualizing. So it's a combination <laughs> of... Uh, yeah, of, um, I'm still there. <laughs> very good. Of much more active uh, focus, uh, but still in a general wanting to know. Um, and if you want to apply news, then you want to apply information that comes from a news event to your own specific situation. What does this news mean for me? What are the direct consequences? And then there's the third news need uh, that's forming an opinion, which is on the on the right corner in the bottom, a combination of understanding uh, and still being quite active. And with this, you want to take up a certain position about a topic, compare different sources, sometimes even passive, um, and that you don't want to take things for granted, but want to think about it for yourself. And the last one? Yeah, that's news. That's Yeah, we call it experience. So that's on the bottom left. Um, uh, and that's really if you want to feel the, the news, have an emotion, experience it. Um, and that can be positive or negative, but you really need this link between emotion and reason. And that's not just sensationalism, but also, I don't know, life events, for example, that you can really um, experience. Yeah. So I'm I'm sure all listeners can now draw that matrix by heart. (laughs) Hey, and according to your research, because I read read the book, obviously, um, keeping up to date, so the first news need or motivation that you mentioned, 
Um, it's a neither motivation of the audience to follow the news and just know, inform themselves about it. And you say that that's actually the motivation that is mentioned the most often. Mm -hmm. Is it also the most important one? Um, not necessarily. Keeping up to date is, um, well, we measure size by counting the moments on which this news need is felt or on which you have these news needs. So the, 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 the fact that it has a bigger volume says that it's the most, uh, during a day, the, the, the news need that comes up most of the time. Uh, but it doesn't mean that this need is also the most important because the impact can be much lower. I mean, you can watch a television news program every day, largely based on routine, and that may mm -hmm. take a lot of minutes, but then forget what is actually said <laughs> in, the, yeah, yeah. in the broadcast. But you can also, I don't know, see a viral of a satirical news show once maybe on YouTube and can still exactly, you know, give the whole uh, ev uh, recount of the, uh, of the video three weeks later because it had had much more impact. Yeah, and tell all your, all your friends about it. How cool it was. What you've seen. Yeah. So volume of needs is not the same as, as impact. All right. But what consequences does that then have for news production? What should journalists take into account then? Well, if, if you want to address, for example, the uh, the news need of stay updated, uh, that you need to be aware that people have many uh, routines in which they consume news. Uh, they have certain habits that they have developed. And within this news need, they're looking for overview and relevance. Like, why do I need to know this information? Why is it important? So if you represent a news brand that, that lends itself to this basic news consumption, like I don't know, news apps, radio bulletins, television news programs, or even the old school teletext. Still, it still exists. And it's still popular. Yeah. <laughs> then you should, but then you should also probably focus on selecting uh, news and providing an overview, not just give everything, uh, and make clear what the relevance of your stories is and answer the first qu questions that people have, not the most complicated one. Yeah, you see that very often now, right? That, that when something big happens, that journalists also provide the context and the basic information that we have to have to take out of this news event. And then the other three that's supplying, it's uh, like the weather. You know, I want to know what weather what is outside. Do I have to take an umbrella or something? Experiencing and also forming an opinion, they are all less common in the overall picture of motivations. But I assume that news organizations still have to respond to these three needs as well. Yeah, because, well, actually, like we said, uh, with the other news need as well, they are they might be less common, but the impact of these needs can be can be big or bigger even. If you have had a tool that is really super handy when making an important decision, uh, which is good for applying, or a video that made you look at something completely different, so you now have a different opinion, or, I don't know, a podcast that made a really deep impression, these can all be very valuable uh, experiences for you. And, by the way... I don't want to um, promote the fact that news organizations should necessarily serve, serve all the various news needs. Uh, I think you can perfectly, well, choose something and maybe one or two uh, of, the, of the news needs as long as you know what you want to do uh, and that you have an idea of what you want to give to your audience. Yeah, so it needs to fit also with who you are as a news organization. Yeah. Yeah. You also mentioned forming opinions. You've explained it before. It's uh, it's also can be a very important motivation for people to follow the news, although it's not experienced as much as staying up to date. Now, sometimes you hear that our society, the debate seems to become increasingly polarized in social, political issues. And also news organizations receive a lot of criticism, 
not as much as in the U U.S., but also in the Netherlands, you see that uh, a lot. How can journalists stimulate their audience to form an opinion in a good and responsible manner without receiving the complaint to impose upon or, or influence their audience? Well, I think, first of all, that stimulating people to form an opinion uh, by no means uh, means that you impose a certain opinion on your audience. On the contrary, I mean, the public needs to form their own opinion, so mm -hmm. you don't have to do that for them. Um, in fact, it can be very beneficial to not communicate like a, a, a simple truth, but to show different perspectives. Um, I do need to underline that this, of course, doesn't go for facts. I believe that there are some facts that we can't ignore, and it's really important that we have some factual information that we all agree on. Yeah. But apart from that, I think there can be different perspectives. And, and the interesting thing about this need is that there are many different journalistic uh, products that are compatible with it. I mean, um, what I said before sort of argues for very factual, objective, and more guiding stories. Mm -hmm. Like, we don't have an opinion, but please form your own. But you can also have very subjective, opinion-forming, position-taking stories that can work well for an audience that wants to form their own opinion. Um, they don't even always have to agree with you, but uh, they use your opinion to better shape their own. Um, and you can show various perspectives, I think, as well, without them biting each other. And you can guide your audiences without telling one truth. Yeah. And as long as it's based on facts that are correct. That are correct. <laughs> that are Definitely. Correct. Now, I really like your idea of the matrix with these four different news needs. And I also know from experience that in academia, we also really like to put things into boxes <laughs> because that makes reality way more... Um, clear mm -hmm. <laughs> in a way. But if you think about the, the user perspective here, are people always very aware of their news needs? No, no, certainly not. Um, for example, the forming an opinion, that's not really something that people say like, oh, now I'm going to form an opinion <laughs> about something. So it's quite often a, a latent need and you're not very focused on it. Uh, sometimes people don't know even uh, what to think about something when they hear or, or listen it or read it or maybe come to it by chance uh, on a cer certain topic. Uh, but it can also be a very conscious need. So it's, I'm sorry, I don't have a lot of like one clear answers. It can be, can be <laughs> both. Uh, but people are, for example, more likely to consume content on topics that they already know a lot about. Um, you know, if you read news about your own profession, for example, or mm -hmm. the country of origin, um, you, you tend to follow that more and also prefer to look for news that represents your vision or opinion on, on certain topics. And I think this is something of all times and it's also something very logical. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be a bad thing. I mean, the idea of, of democracy is to have different views that coexist. So as long as we can live together, yeah. I mean, that would be nice. <laughs> um, but uh, but journalism, I think, does have a res responsibility here to ensure that the that conversation that we all have is respectful and hopefully mutually beneficial. Yeah. The other need, the experience mm. need, the need for feeling the news, uh, that seems to be a motivation that's more focused on emotions than the other uh, three needs. They're more service-like needs, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if news and this motivation is more like a form of entertainment. Well, um, it could be, but it's definitely not always. I mean, you can also experience something without being entertained. It's really about connecting stories uh, with emotion so that people feel it. Um, 
like the 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 picture maybe you remember of Aylan Kurdi, the the Syrian uh, toddler that washed up on the Turkish yeah, beach. I, remember that I mean, of course, this was n- by no means any kind no. of entertainment, but it was a story that really fitted the, the the need for an experience because that image really made you feel what the refugee crisis was all about and what it actually meant and what the implications were. So, yeah, I think it it can you know serve that interest. But I can also play a little bit devil's advocate here, um, because if sometimes news can be a little bit entertainment, is that always bad? I think sometimes journalists are overly uh, correct in this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if the journalistic part of, of the story is done correctly and ethically, what is wrong by making it, you know, in, in its form a little bit more attractive? Uh, like we have the, the show Zondag met Lubach, a Dutch news satire. It's perceived as super funny, but the, the, the topics it discusses are very serious and they have been well researched. Um, so I don't think the one needs to exclude the other. No, I agree with you. You can have you can have both. It can be an entertaining or engaging, and it can also be informative and very high quality journalism, obviously. Do you think that this kind of journalism, the, the one that mixes journalism with humor or personalization, like personal stories or focus on experience, do you think it has become more important in our time? Um, not entirely, I think. Um, I mean, after all, journalists are storytellers and they have always been. I do think that journalists today have much more resources available to tell their story, uh, which offers all kinds of opportunities. I mean, you can tell your story immersive, cl- cross-platform, live, time-lapsing in 360 yeah. degrees. So many options. You know, many options. But the essence is a good story. Mm-hmm. So that hasn't really changed. Um, but perhaps there are more sort of these personal stories um, in the recent years. Uh, and I'm not really sure what kind of effect this will have. I can see that on the one hand, it perhaps reinforces the possibility for audiences to connect with a story because it is more personal. Um, certainly when uh, they focus on s- serving the need, experiencing or forming an opinion. But on the other hand, I think it may weaken the um, sort of the independence of the journalists and, and open risks of story bias and confirmation bias. But... You know, of course, there's always a doubt if independence ever really existed. <laughs> so I do think there is room uh, for it within the broad spectrum of journalistic offerings, but it's not the only way to tell a story. Uh, mm-hmm. And you can find very good and very bad examples of it. So, sorry, no clear answer for me here. <laughs> I think it's also great to not provide all the answers that just yet, right? Then it would make life pretty boring. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a pity that we do not have this ready-made recipes for uh, for connecting with your audience. Good stories are the most important thing in journalism. That's what you really have to take into account when you're working, that you tell the story in a compelling way and that people also understand it. What do you think? And that's my last question. Mm. Are the core elements of a good story? <laughs> well, that's, of course, the ultimate question. Um, and again, I don't think I really have a simple answer to that, unfortunately. I think I could give it a go, but then I would actually speak more as a news consumer than as an expert, because now you come into the area of, of the journalists themselves, the makers, uh, and I'm actually not one of them. Mm. I only know uh, that you have to try to certain, you have to try to speak to certain needs of the audience, uh, but how to do that? Yeah, well, that's sort of the job of the journalist. So, uh, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck, journalists who are listening. Now, I'm sure they have lots of uh, lots of good ideas about that. 
Micah, thank you so very much for coming to the studio. That, that was really, really insightful and, and very, very interesting. Now, this was the last podcast from Do We Click this year. I wish everyone very happy holidays. And in January 2020, I'm back and Tim Groot-Gormelings comes to the studio to tell us more about the motivation of the audience to click or not to click. His research shows, amongst others, that needs and motivations are more nuanced than what the metrics tell us. I'm curious what we can learn from him. That was it for now. Next time, I'll tell you more. Will you click again? Dewey Click is supported by the Dutch Journalism Fund and the Erasmus Research Center for Media, Communication and Culture of the Erasmus University Rotterdam.